Every now and then, I ask myself a question. You know, it's like reading the word therefore in the Bible. You know what you're supposed to do when you read the word therefore? Ask yourself what it's there for, <laughs> right? Well, I will take the time often to ask questions about all kinds of stuff. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read verses 23 through 26. The title of our message is, So You Will Never Forget. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, once again, we love to pray. We love to talk to you more importantly than anything else we do. Father, your word is living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That means it can cut us coming and going. Well, open us up, Father, today. And pour your word into us and change our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, in just a little bit of time from now, at sunrise on Sunday morning, December 7th, 1941, which we will celebrate again this December. I say celebrate, we will remember. December 7th, 1941, 350 Japanese warplanes flew through a mountain pass over the island of Oahu and rained death and destruction on Pearl Harbor. Eight battleships and ten smaller warships were sunk or put out of commission. Uh, there were a large number of American planes were destroyed and 3,581 servicemen were killed or wounded. The USS Arizona took a bomb down its stack. The boilers, oil tanks, and munitions magazines exploded. The battleship went down in eight minutes, entombing 1,177 sailors. President Franklin D. Roosevelt called the day of a sneak attack a day of infamy. The national battle cry with which the United States entered World War II was, remember Pearl Harbor. Other battle cries have marked our nation's 200-year history, such as, remember the Alamo. The Lord's Supper is not a battle cry, but it too is a call to remembrance. Some things that we need not to forget. Point number one, remember our Savior's final words. Point one, our Savior's final words. Okay, my guy will put that up when he gets back. Our Savior's final words. The Lord's Supper is a meal that we receive. Just as we take the elements and receive them into our bodies, we have taken Jesus Christ and received him into our lives. But the Lord's Supper is more than a meal. It's a memorial. When we share in the bread and the cup, we have not only the responsibility of receiving, but also remembering. On the night before Jesus was executed, he gathered with his disciples for a final meal together. It would be their last time together before he was hauled away by Jewish and Roman authorities to be crucified. Around the table, he shared the Passover meal with his closest friends. Around the table, uh, then Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. And it, it says at first in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, do this in remembrance of me. 
In the Apostle Paul's record of, the inst- of instituting the Lord's Supper, twice he has Jesus say, in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians 11, 24, and 25. Nathan, if you put point one up for me, I'd appreciate it. <clears throat> the word remembrance means much more than recalling something or someone from the past. To remember is to make vivid, to make real, to recall and make contemporary the reality of a deed. In this case, it is remembering Jesus' words, his life, his deeds, and death that brings life to us. Because of Jesus, we were redeemed. We are redeemed, and we shall be redeemed fully when he returns. The Lord's Supper commemorates that fact. Point number two, it's a memento from a cherished friend. Think about this with me. To aid our memory, Jesus chose two symbols necessary for life itself as constant reminders for us when he chose the bread and wine. One is food and one's liquid, right? We can't live without those. You eliminate liquid from your life and you're limited to how much longer you're going to breathe. If you eliminate food from your life, then there's a limited period of time left that you have to live. Does that make sense? God or Christ chose two items that were that important, right? The simplest of elements, when they are associated with the greatest friend and savior we will ever know, they become powerful mementos. They stir up emotional memories in our hearts, as an intimate photo album does, or a well-read and worn letter from a friend, or a special gift from a mentor. I attended a unique funeral just a couple of weeks ago in Fairbanks, Alaska, for a friend that I'd known for 20 years, a good Christian brother. And whenever you get together to celebrate the life of a person like this man, his name was Warren. And Warren affected the lives of so many people. The church that we were in was packed out, packed out. And there was the captain that we served under up until a couple years ago, and the new captain was there, and both of the captains spoke at this, uh, at this funeral. And the first captain got up and did something we all needed. He said something funny about Warren McAllister from his memory. And it had to do with Warren being a big Cowboys fan. I won't bore you with the details, but trust me, it was hilarious. It was very funny. And we all got a good laugh out of it. Now, watch this. I don't know if you've seen this before. Many of you have, I'm certain. It's one of the traditions now at funerals where at an overhead projector, they'll run photographs of that person's life through. And you'll remember, you know, and it was in order when the kids were born, when he got married, you know, when he was way back as a child coming up, then it's time in the service, then it's time when he got married and each one of the children that he had, you know, and then on the job and people like me that he was with and things like that, it ran all the way through his life. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's the way we ought to remember Jesus. His life from the beginning on this earth to the end to what he's doing for us now. Amen? When the mementos of the bread and the cup are before us, he desires that we remember him. He wants our time together as a spiritual family to be as comfortable and familiar as an evening meal around the family photo album. Not dryly lamenting his death, but vibrantly recalling his life. Point number three, 
It was a deed that saved us. It's tragic when a believer loses the wonder of what it means to be saved. You know what I'm talking about? It's tragic when a believer loses the wonder of what it means to be redeemed. It's even more horrific when a believer forgets the Redeemer. A Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wants to find a Christian as a person who is amazed at the fact that he is forgiven. He doesn't take it for granted. One reason that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper is to remind us of the price he paid to save us. He's taken the wounds of Calvary to heaven with him, perhaps to remind us forever that he died in our place. He never wants us to forget that sacrifice. During the 19th century, Ireland was stricken by a potato famine. And when I first saw this story, it, you know, it still moves my heart, but, but I thought, okay, a story about the potato famine. And maybe you've heard this story before. During this time, many Irish people immigrated to America. A young Irish boy stowed away on an American-bound ship. At sea, the ship struck an iceberg and began to sink. As people scrambled frantically for their lifeboats, the captain supervised the activity and was the last to leave the sinking vessel. When he looked back at the ship, he saw the young stowaway coming out of hiding. The brave captain ordered his lifeboat back to the sinking ship. He climbed aboard and rescued the boy, putting him in the seat that the captain had vacated, the only available place in the lifeboat. As the lifeboat slowly pulled away from the sinking ship a second time, leaving the captain to go down with his ship, he yelled out to the boy, Son, never forget what has been done for you today. And I suspect that that boy never did. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was his way of saying, Never forget what has been done for you on the cross. Never forget the pain, the suffering, and the sacrifice. Through the broken bread, he reminds us of his body that was broken to meet our hunger for salvation. In his brokenness, Jesus received our sin. Through the poured wine, he reminds of his blood that was spilled out to meet our thirst for life. Through his blood, Jesus erased our sin. Through Jesus' broken body and spilled blood, he became the perfect sacrifice. He atoned for our sin. He redeemed us for all eternity. Point number four, final point. It just never ceases to amaze me that when I obey God and I listen and I, and I start, you know, you, you start looking at old resource materials and you come across little things, and there's always a point that gets me. It cuts me all the way as deep to the center as it can cut, and this point did it. Number four, our response to a grand invitation. Pay close attention to what I'm about to say. I ask questions about why did Jesus say what he said, and the answer I got for this just blew me away. He just... I know you hear me say that a lot, but then I say what God said, and, and I'm not the only one blown away. A response to a grand invitation. When we recall what Jesus did for us, 
there can be only one response. When we understand his love, all we can do is give our lives to him. Let me take you back to that upper room where Jesus shared that last meal with his disciples. Listen very carefully, because this is what sharing that meal was like. Sharing a meal with friends was a common practice back then as it is today. As Jewish men, sharing the Passover meal was as familiar as families sharing Thanksgiving dinner together today. Does that make sense to you? That Passover meal was something they looked forward to every year, just like we look forward to Thanksgiving. And that meal is based on gratitude for God's deliverance of the children of Israel from the nation of Egypt, right? And when we have Thanksgiving, we're grateful for everything God's done for us, if, if we're paying attention, amen? The Passover was a call to remembrance, remembering God's deliverance of the Jewish people. But on that night, now listen to me carefully, folks. Look up here. But on the night when Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood, it is shed for you. That's Luke twenty-two twenty. Something highly uncommon was done. Pay attention to that. What Jesus did at that moment was highly uncommon. Now, let me tell you why, because I did a little digging into the history of this. In the first century, when a young Jewish man reached marrying age and his family selected an appropriate wife for him, he and his father would meet with the young woman and her father to negotiate a bride's price. Have you ever heard of that before? All right? They would negotiate the bride price, the figurative cost of replacing a daughter. And oftentimes, the price was very high. As a father of a daughter, only one daughter, I can appreciate the big dollar amount. And I didn't see a dime, but I'm just saying. (laughs) I got a wonderful son-in-law and two beautiful granddaughters out of that. That's more than I could ever ask or think. Amen? Now listen to this very carefully. When the negotiations were complete, the custom was for the young man's father. God help me. The custom was for the young man's father to pour a cup of wine and hand it to his son. His son would turn to the young woman, lift the cup, and hold it out to her, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. In other words, it was his way of saying, I love you, I'll give you my life, will you marry me? Now the woman had a choice. She could take the cup and return it and say no. And that was generally problematic. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or she could answer without saying a word by drinking the cup. This act was her way of saying, I accept your offer. I will marry you. I will give you my life. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples sat down together celebrating Passover. The disciples knew the liturgy very well. They knew what was normally said at Passover dinner. They had celebrated Passover all their lives. When it came time to drink the cup of wine, the cup of redemption, Jesus lifted the cup to the disciples as they would expect and offered what's called traditional setter thanks. It's a Hebrew word, S-E-D-E-R. Traditional setter thanks. 
The same words are used in this day. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, for giving us the fruit of the vine. And then he offered it to them, but said something they probably did not expect. Many meanings in the statement. This cup, or then he offered it to them, but said something they probably did not expect. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. So what did Jesus do? What did he do when he, when he said that to them? He gave them a marriage proposal. He gave a marriage proposal to his disciples. Do, do you get that? Do you understand what just happened there? Just like the meeting between the two fathers, the daughter and the son, and the son talks about the new covenant, hands her the cup. She can either hand it back or she can drink it. She can accept the marriage proposal or she can refuse it. It's hard to know what the disciples thought that night. Maybe a few chuckled a bit at Jesus making a marriage proposal, which must have seemed totally out of place in the Passover setter, and yet they may have understood Jesus, his willingness to die, be buried, and eventually raised to say, I love you, and as my father promised your fathers, I'll pay the price for you because Christ's father told their fathers that's what he would do. In response, will you love me back by giving me your life? When we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we must be mindful of Christ's offer. He still says, I love you. He proved the extent of his love by dying on the cross for our sins. He says to us, I offer you my life. Will you be my bride? Have you given your life in response? Do you even remember when you did it? Is it as vivid in your mind today as the day you prayed to invite Jesus in your heart? That moment needs to be that important, but if, if you don't remember, don't panic. Don't worry about that. The point is, it's more important that you know you're saved than exactly what the clock said. Amen? In conclusion, when coming to the table, we remember sentences that embody a life. Symbols dripping with meaning. An overwhelming sacrifice in our response of gratitude. Some things we need not forget. It was early Saturday morning on November 12th. Cops know these stories. Early Saturday morning, November the 12th, 1986, Jamie Estep was traveling from her home in Stillwater, Oklahoma to work the morning shift at a restaurant by the interstate. As she rounded the last curve, before she would turn onto the frontage road, a car in her lane speeding at over 90 miles per hour came toward her. Jamie swerved her car but could not avoid the oncoming vehicle. She was struck on the driver's side. The young, vivacious teenager with bright blue eyes and even a brighter future was killed instantly. 
The driver of the speeding vehicle, Lucas Jones, was going home from an all-night party with his friends. He was drunk. While thrown from his car at the point of the impact, he walked away from the accident with only scrapes, bruises, and a broken arm. Every one of us have heard stories like that, right? Lucas was not a bad 17-year-old kid. In fact, he was an honor roll student and a member of the band. He, on this night, simply made or had too many beers. He had too many beers. At his trial, witnesses testified of Lucas's achievements in the classroom, his service to the community, his kind heart, his church involvement. The prosecuting attorney reminded the court that while all of the facts about Lucas may be true, he nevertheless drove a car that exceeded the speed limit while intoxicated and took the life of an innocent victim. Punishment was required. The court waited in anticipation for the judge's verdict in the case. When the judge spoke from his bench, he said to a remorseful Lucas Jones, Lucas, as the witnesses have testified, you are a decent young man. And from your own statement, I realize that you are truly sorry for the crime you have committed. I want to believe that, as you say, you will never touch alcohol again. But, and there was a long pause, a young, innocent girl is dead because of your irresponsibility. And nothing you can do will bring her back. Her friends and family mourn her loss. I therefore sentence you to two years in juvenile center. Since you have already spent 16 months, the balance of your time will be eight months. A gasp came over the courtroom from Jamie's family, thinking the sentence was not severe enough. And the judge went on, for the rest of your natural life. Every year on November the 12th, you are to go to the scene where you plowed into Jamie's car and think about your actions. Son, I don't want you to forever forget what you have done. I don't want you to ever forget what you've done. I want you to recall your poor judgment the life that was taken and your part in that. I think there's nothing more tragic and horrible than an innocent victim killed by a drunk driver. But listen to me carefully. Whether you agree with the judgment or you don't agree with the judgment, listen to these findings. But, my friends, we are no different than Lucas Jones. We took the life of Jesus Christ it was our sin that nailed him to the cross. He was an innocent victim. He did not deserve to die. We did. But he took our place. And so that we will never forget, we gather at the table to remember him. We taste the bread and sip from the cup to recall the life that was taken, the sacrifice that was made, and our part in the tragedy. Some things we need not to forget. Can you say amen?